You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast. We read them so you don't have to, because we were told that if we did, we could have cake. <laughs> my name is Kevin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Benedict, the caffeine-free diet coke of humans. Benedict! I, I am anything but caffeine-free. I'm sorry, you have to come up with the best description. <laughs> well, I feel like if someone were to drink you, they would get very little caffeine Probably. Yeah, out of you, that If you experience. liquidated me and drank me, you, there would be very, very little caffeine. Also, it would be quite dry. Benedict! An incredibly dry person. Who's your favorite knight of the round table? Ooh, uh, I think it's uh, Gawain. Ooh, Gawain. You're one of those yeah. who goes for the chivalrous types. Yeah, so you, Gawain. You want I, someone who's all gallant and dashing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, <laughs> what about you? How I did, guess? I, did you're not even going to bother to mention that I obviously knew before I came up with that question that you would have the name of one of them? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's just expected, isn't it? Yeah, uh, right? Yeah, 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 it's you, it's you. Yeah. Uh, mine, my favorite, uh, Lancelot. I'm a wow. Lancelot guy. Gotta love a guy who, who stabs his king in the back and sure. takes his lady. Gotta love it. By the way, I, like, the only, you know, I, you know, I guess it's a little bit in the background, like, you hear King Arthur, like, it's, you know, it comes up from time to time here and there, but, like, Am I like the only person who ever read the Once and Future King? Because like that was my I've experience. Never heard of that. that was that was it's a T.H. White book. It's my experience where I got exposure to King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and everything. Like it was, I loved that book when I was younger. But nobody else but me seems to ever, like you, have ever I've even heard. Literally of it. never heard of it. No. <laughs> okay, well, uh, read it for a patron only, I guess. I don't know. I we'll guess, find out. Sure. <laughs> can, how well, many knights of the round table can you name oh god gawain galahad lancelot uh that's probably about it off the top of my head mm. um isn't there one that starts with a c uh i don't know camelot is where they live camelot yes knights it's of the not, round table not, yeah <laughs> indeed yes yes bedivere um you know, now that I think about it, I could probably come up with more names by thinking about uh, Monty Python than I could if I tried to actually yeah. just think about the, the, the legend of the round table by its own. Anyways, Benedict, you probably know, but some of the listeners might not know what exactly it is that we do here on this podcast. And to them, I'll say what we do is we reach down deep, 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 deep into the garbage chute of political philosophy, seeking the irreplaceable, dropped, original Pokemon Ash Ketchum keychain of right-wing thought. That is what we do here on this program. Yes. 
That's true. I, 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 it's been a I while since I've watched. I had Pokemon keychains when I was a kid. It's sure. a thing. It's a fucking thing. Yeah, I, I, like I, I just haven't watched. One. I haven't watched Pokemon in a long time. I only Neither had, have but, I. But it was the thing of our childhoods. You and I have both talked about this before. That's true. Yeah. You know, don't don't leave me hanging out to dry like that. No, you I, dick. I mean, I only had Pokemon cards. Well, so did I. But you had the show. You yeah, obviously had true. the television show. How much show? of the show did you make it through? Oh, the the first season. I know I watched every episode, and then the movie came out, right? And so oh, we saw the, the first movie. movie yeah, yeah, that that was fantastic, right? I mean, as a kid going to see that in a theater, like that was that was magic. That was true magic. Uh, and then I think I sort of lost track after that. I might have watched some of like there was a series that came after that which had like the new Pokemon because they were trying to get you to buy the new games at that point and the cards and everything. Um, and uh, I think then like Yu-Gi-Oh came out and that was the new thing and that's what we all got onto. So it was I like I loved a, Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh was pretty fun. Yu-Gi-Oh was all those card games. There aren't any really great card games like that anymore. Like I know Magic the Gathering is a thing, but I I never yeah. got into that and I'm too no, old to learn either. the rules now. But like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, those were things that as a kid like we knew. We knew how to play those games because that's that's what we did. We played with our cards and we traded them with all our friends and got mad when one of our friends wouldn't give us the uh, uh, holographic card that we wanted in in exchange for something. What we was had. the the main one in Yu-Gi-Oh? The it began with like X X. Uh, the holographic cards. There was like no, a dra- just the one way you had. That was the there was the blue eyes white dragon. That was yeah. the that oh, was the best oh, single uh, card. Yeah, yeah. There was that one that had like five cards. You had to combine yeah, them. Yeah, it was like X Gorilla yeah. or something. Like I don't remember what it was. Ugh. Oh God, good times, my friend. Good times. good times. That's been this episode, this week's episode of uh, Not Your Grandmother's Kevin and Benedict Reminiscing Club <laughs> this week. Anyways, Benedict. Can you start us off? Do you have a hot take for us this week? I do, and it is once again weather related. And oh, uh, I know you're not in on the East Coast anymore. Anymore. But and I know you uh, have been battered by Henri. We have. Why? Uh, first of all, why is it called Henri? I don't know. Like, call it, it called, Henry. Call yeah, it Henry, fucking Henry. Harry, Hal, <laughs> Herbert. There's plenty of names. <laughs> call it. Uh, <laughs> who chose I, Henri? To, really? To be fair, there, there aren't a lot of H names. Well, but, ha- here's the thing. Half of the country is going to be like, "Are we on the O's now? Is that where yeah. we are for this hurricane? I thought I didn't Henry. know it was that far along in the season. Yeah. Oh. Um. I, so, anyway, my the upshot being, I don't like the weather. It's too much. It can't make up its mind. What it, today there were seven seasons. I thought there were only four. Today it rained. It was sweaty. It was cold. It was a hundred percent humidity. It was zero percent humidity. Mm. All in a single day. How is mm. that possible? There were seven inches of rain on Saturday night. And oh. also, it is very funny that the Welcome Back NYC yes, concert got, got cancelled. It, it's literally the the real life version of the uh, like my four plans the Delta variants yes, were yes. the concert and the the. <laughs> Uh, the New York thing. Oh, God, um, I miss the East Coast. Oh, yeah, no, you don't. It's just hot and boring here. Okay, what's, what about your hot take? I thought you'd have more to say. Than that. No, no, that was it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no, Benedict, it's just hot and boring here. That's all there is to say about the Midwest. Uh, my hot take this week, Benedict, trust no one. And that's not just coming from the X-Files fan in me. Uh, trust no one. We've learned that from, from every book we've read, from the videos we've watched so far of Glenn Beck and 
from all the videos we're going to watch of Glenn Beck, trust no one, and that's not entirely where my hot take comes from this week, but mm -hmm. it also comes from, you know, don't trust anyone on our side as well, because uh, I'm sitting around in between the bar exam and my start date at my, my firm, mm -hmm. and uh, I've had plenty of time to do a lot of reading because I have nothing, I just, it's the strangest feeling ever. I have nothing to do. The bar yeah. exam is done. All I have is to sit around and wait and in theory enjoy myself until my start date arrives at my law firm but mm. uh you know it's covid time so i'm doing a lot of reading and i uh pulled out uh, my john ronson books i was going back mm. through them and uh started off you know with the earlier stuff uh the men who, sh who stare at goats fantastic oh, yeah. book the movie's amazing as well although they got fucking ewan mcgregor to play john ronson he's welsh ewan mcgregor is scottish what are you thinking um, these are the thoughts that have gone through my head in this mania as I'm alone reading in my apartment. But John Ronson, he's an amazing writer, amazing journalist. You can't trust everything he says, though. Because Why? He, because he's got that gone, and he's sort of admitted that a lot of his stuff is fictionalization of things, or it's exaggerations, or it's his impression of what happened, right? Like, a lot of uh, the men who stare at goats is him. Uh, he writes several times about General Stubblebine, uh, who's uh, one of the guys that was involved with this program, trying to walk through the wall of his office. Well, you know, John Ronson wasn't there for that. So what he's writing is a fictionalization. And there are parts of his writing that don't exactly jive with reality. And, like, he's trying to make a stretch from a lot of these programs in the 70s and 80s to things that were happening in the war on terror in Iraq and Afghanistan at the time. And it's fun to read, but if you think about it a little deeper, it doesn't quite jive, and he's sort of making some logical leaps, just like we see with all the people we criticize. So what I'm saying is... Okay. Trust no one, take everything with a grain of salt, and just flat out don't trust I was thinking, Republicans, I was, period. Ge genuinely thinking about this the other day, of like, I come into the reading that we do in a very different mindset than mm -hmm. I come into the other, to other reading that I do. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how it would be if we did one of the books on our team, in mm. if we read it in the same way that we read these books, right? You know... Like, we might have to do that someday, whether it's yeah. for a patron only or something. I don't know, but we might have to do that because I'm sure there are, there are plenty of bullshit artists on our own side. And there are people who, while we may agree with their arguments, and I'm certain they're better than people who are making the bad faith Republican arguments. Um, they're going to be making logical leaps that aren't called for. And they're going to be, you know, doing things that are just you know, some people aren't great um, at making arguments. And, and yeah. they, they do some bad stuff. So yeah, also, writing books is hard. Yeah. Like gen genuinely getting a, a consistent thread to go through a book is very difficult. Like also true. Also true. Anyways, Benedict, uh, that's it. A little bit of housekeeping this week. Obviously remember to follow us on social media, Twitter at NYGBC pod, uh, rate and review us on iTunes. And I will say we don't have time this week to do my little spiel about rate and review us on iTunes because nice. before the show, Benedict and I were talking and Benedict said, you know, Kevin, you really have to speed through the episode this week because we just, because we're doing you know, we're, 90 we're, minute episodes. We're doing these very long episodes. We have to do this thing. And, and you know, we, we do this show over Skype or not Skype, but you know, one of those programs, we're talking to each other through a video screen. And I, I was looking at Benedict, his face on my screen as it is right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I looked him in the eyes and said, Benedict, I'm sorry but we can't do that because we just don't have enough stars on iTunes. So right. if you, 
would like Benedict's torment to end. I think I had you there for a second, didn't you I? Did. You did. I had you there for just and a to second. To be honest, I stop listening whenever you start these, so it's, you know. <laughs> you can give us five I, stars. I, like, I go into like a fugue state and just start walking around the apartment <laughs> until you say five stars or not enough stars, and then I'm like, okay, time to come back. Well, anyways, Benedict, why don't we return this week to our review of Glenn Beck's anti-Semitic rambling conspiracy-filled screed, Puppet Master. Bye. No, I screwed up all the order, but I was going to say bye, Glenn Beck. The jive turkey's jive turkey. Mm. Uh, Benedict, this week, today, this episode, we are starting uh, day two of Glenn Beck's little rant here. Um, mm. So we're going to do the first two videos available on Media Matters from uh, that video, from that okay. day. Uh, they are eight minutes long and 12 minutes long, respectively. Of course, I have watched them ahead of time. They mm -hmm. are everything I ever wanted from Glenn Beck. Why don't we just go ahead and dive right in? Okay, let's do it. Last night, almost three million people watched this broadcast oh. to find out about George All right, Soros. dude. Starting off bragging man. about My the audience man. numbers, Talking right? About his, his yeah. numbers, yeah, all right. Look how big this swinging audience share is. Last night, we introduced you to the puppet master, billionaire financier George Soros, notorious for collapsing economies and regimes all around the world. He's known uh, as the man who broke the Bank of England. Talk about it already. The Prime Minister of yeah. Malaysia called Very Soros funny. an unscrupulous profiteer. Mm -hmm. In Thailand, he Probably was not wrong, so, to be fair. Like, <laughs> well, here's the thing, Benedict. Um, there's a reason why he's not going any deeper than that on oh, the Prime Minister of Malaysia or telling anyone his name. And I will tell you why that is. The Prime Minister of Malaysia, of whom he's referring, is a man named Mahathir Mohamed, also known as Dr. Mahathir. Um, he was, you know, sort of like one of the founders of, not the founders, but he's like one of the, the fathers of Malaysia as it's known today. He was a long-running Prime Minister. Uh, he was the head of the UMNO Party. That's what the, the party was called he was the head of was called and up until recently they had been the ruling party for the entirety of malaysia's independence mm -hmm. he is also a virulent anti-semite with a cool. lot of really bad quotes that glenn beck would never want his audience to hear like for example when he said of george soros quote it is a jew who triggered the currency plunge mm -hmm. and implied that this was part of a larger jewish conspiracy cool. that's cool, cool, cool. That's not a great one in particular. No. Uh, he's also in the past disputed the number of Jews that were killed in the Holocaust. Again, great. not a great thing. Not typically something that you want out of uh, your source, Glenn Beck, in the program you are insisting is not at all anti-Semitic. And then, of course, there was the time where he said, quote, The Europeans killed 6 million Jews out of 12 million, but today the Jews rule the world by proxy. They get others to fight and die for them. Mm. It's a man who is very well known for going out because the first time he left office, I think it was like 2004, 2005-ish, uh, he left basically with an anti-Semitic screed. That's how he left office. Good stuff. Yep. Yeah, right. it's also the Great. guy, I've talked before, I think in the past with you, about uh, his deputy prime minister, um, uh, the whole controversy there, how he had him framed uh, for uh, homosexual acts and he was put oh, in God. prison. He was put in prison for like a decade. It's, I it's a whole. remember that. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit. I think back when I was at UC Berkeley because uh, he came to speak at UC Berkeley. The, not Mahathir Mohammed, but the uh, the deputy uh, prime minister, whose name I'm blanking on right now, but it begins with an A. 
I don't know why I'm blanking on that. I spent a lot of time in undergrad studying Malaysian politics. But anyways. Nobody remembers their undergrad. That's who Glenn Beck <laughs> as is soon as, it's, as soon as it's more than three years in the past, I don't yep. remember my undergrad. Yeah, but that that's the person that Glenn Beck is going to for a lovely quote about George Soros here. Great. Love that. Was Thanks, Glenn. the economic war criminal. They also said that he sucks the blood from people. That's uh, not good. No, that's never, very never anti-Semitic. Good. Never good. Uh, that, by the way, that little that thing he was talking about Thailand. We sort of talked over it a little bit. Um, that was just like a, a small group of protesters who protested a speech he was going to give in the country. So Glenn Beck ascribing that to like everyone. Uh, it's a little dumb. In 1994, George Soros stated, "Quote." He really right, flubs a lot, doesn't Soviet he? For like a professional now... talker. Yeah, he really does. He really does. Uh, we, you did screw up the quote he was reading, though. Sorry. So I'll, I'll go back just a moment and go back to it again. He should flub less, then. Well, yeah, we talked before. Like, we don't know if these are pre-recorded or not. And my inkling was at the time that it was pre-recorded. But this number of flubs makes me think maybe it was live. And that would explain going to the pre-recorded video packages. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, rest. T- I'm not going to look into whether he or not he sucks was the blood from people. In 1994, George Soros stated, quote, just right that the former Soviet empire is now called the Soros Empire. So that quote okay. there comes from an article in The New Republic, uh, which was a reporter traveling with George Soros when he was on a tour of Eastern Europe, talking to a lot of world leaders and things. Uh, and it comes from this paragraph where he's talking about, uh, really, it's an, this is a quote from the article in The New Republic, really it's an astonishing performance, especially when you consider that three years ago, Soros was not much better known in the region than any Wall Street drone. In Bucharest, he'll explain to a packed press conference that he did not meet with the Romanian president for lack of time. Late one evening, after meeting with the president of Moldova in the morning and the president of Bulgaria in the evening, he will turn to me and say, you see, I have one president for breakfast and another for dinner. And when I wonder aloud from the back of his jet how to illustrate in this magazine the comically complex web of his activities between Germany and China, he will swivel around in his seat at the front and say, just right that the former Soviet empire is now called the Soros empire. Yeah, I feel like that's fairly it's, clearly It's a laugh cheek. line. It's yeah. a laugh line is what exactly. it is. Yeah, that, but that's how I heard it when Glenn read it. Like, that's clearly yeah, what he meant. But also, I have to just, provide like, the context. We completely glossed over the fact that he was like, he sucks the blood from people. <laughs> and, but not... Like, th- there was no metaphor explained there. Like, that's no. just, like, he just accused the man of blood sucking. I don't have it pulled up in front of me anymore, but I did find where that came from. Uh, it was, uh, like I said, he went to Thailand to give a speech. He eventually called off the speech because there was just, like, there was a, a group that was protesting him giving his speech because, again, they blamed him for the Asian economic crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, that came from, from, I think, a letter that was delivered to whoever was hosting the speech or something. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Okay. Combine these credits with his power, along with his financial fortune, it is no wonder that he fancies himself some sort of god. That's not something that we have said. That is something that he claims. He has described himself over and over again as some sort of god, even as the conscience <sighs> yeah, of the yeah, world. Yeah. Yep, we've heard this all before. Yes, I did say that, and actually, I we've heard this quote it. before. I think the world very much needs a conscience. I want my you, foundation. You've got to remember the demographic. That's the all. <laughs> okay, he wants it to be the conscience of the world. Well, he's a very, very generous man. 
Most people in the world know him as a philanthropist, huge charity guy. Well, we'll look into that charity tonight. Oh, good. He gets a kick out of playing God. It's actually amusing to him. He, he says, in his own words, it's a game. Unfortunately, what Mr. Soros forgets is these are real people. This is not some game. Real lives are being destroyed. The level of melodrama so that Glenn melodramatic. is putting, this is incredible. Oh my God, ham it up, Glenn. It's astonishing. And this is where I go back to that thing of being like, Glenn, for all the bullshit he rightly gets, he has performance talent. He really does have it. And, mm -hmm. and this is it right there. Apart from all the flubs. Yeah, of course. For his financial gain and for his power. I'm called a hate monger. Because, because you are. I have conservative views and positions like, I don't know, let people keep their money. Okay. <laughs> no, Glenn, it's, yeah, it's for the all problem. the other stuff. Yeah. No, nobody cares. We don't call you a hate monger for that. It's for, for example, this program that we call you yeah, a hate monger. It's not great. It's a bad example. But let me tell you this. It takes a cold, cold heart to have full knowledge that what you are doing to make a buck is literally destroying the lives of people. Okay, this and, is too much. <laughs> well, that is, like, you you agreed with Glenn for a moment earlier, and I'll say, like, this is the thing where it's like, okay, Glenn, I agree with you, but we agree for vastly different reasons. You yeah. agree because you believe the massive communist conspiracy and Soros is part of it and John Birch nonsense, blah, blah, blah. I agree because I have an ethical and moral um, difference with the sort of finance capitalism and the issues of, uh, you know, all the things that George Soros does with his money and these massive short positions and manipulations of currency markets mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. We have very different reasons for disagreeing yeah, it's also agreeing like, on, he, at that, that he central point. He doesn't really believe that central point either. Yeah, but what I'm getting is our, our reasons for agreeing yeah, on that yeah, statement yeah, yeah. are so different. No, there's no, really no, no uh, coming together between there's no allyship me, me and Glenn. No, exactly, exactly. But I think that's something I wanted to highlight because I, I keep thinking about this one tanky friend of mine who is now basically a proud boy uh, because him and Trump hate the same people and that's all he cares about, where mm. it's like, well, and, and who he now loves Alex Jones. It's a whole thing uh, where it's like I have had these arguments with him where it's like you two, you may agree with one sentence that Alex Jones says, but you get there from vastly different points till, like you said, there is no allyship. Mm -hmm. You just both hate the same people. And it's yeah. like I, we need to, to point out that that difference is there. And that there, it's like with Ron Paul when people used to agree with Ron. Oh, he wants to legalize weed, man. It's like, well, we get there from vastly different places. Ron, Stahl, Ron Paul is still a racist moron who thinks that the blacks are doing all the weed. But, you know, like... You happen to agree on one thing. There's really no allyship between you. Yeah. You might vote on the same way on an issue, but you shouldn't be getting along with the guy on literally you know anything what, else. What we should do at some point is look at like some of the Trotskyists that turned into neocons. Maybe. Because I think that, that would be like Irvin Crystal and... Um... And people like that. I keep a running, uh, I keep a running post-it note uh, next on my desk, next to my computer, about all the things that we need to do an yeah, interstitial yeah. episode on in the future. So I will, yeah. I will add that to the list. For yeah, you. yeah. The the Trotskyist neocon pipeline is, yes. is it's a storied one. I mean, Irvin Crystal, Christopher Hitchens, like a yep. lot of people. Yep. And now he's messing with your life. He says, in his own words, America is his next target. By the way, that's not his own words. You're about to play his own words, Glenn, and that is not the words that come out of his mouth. 
I became concerned with the problems of globalization, where you have global markets, but you have politics based on the sovereignty of states. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with that, that issue? And, uh, uh, and then I came to the realization that open society is endangered by, by our current leadership in, in, in this country. And that is when I refocused my attention on the United States. So that's different phrasing, for one thing, than yeah. Glenn claimed there was going to be. And obviously, Glenn's framing of the phrasing was much more aggressive, trying to make the reader, or not the reader, the listener think that he's come, the viewer, whatever, think that Soros is coming after the United States, when yeah. really it's like, well, I see an issue in the world, and I, I think I, I need to look at the United States and try and figure this out. That's, that's again, it's just him trying to turn benign bullshit into this pathetic conspiracy of his. Yeah. It's the UN thing, yes. again. Yep. Focused his attention. This isn't um, a hypothesis. This has been proven. No, it's this crazy. This is what no. this man does. He has done it before. And now he wants an orderly decline of the dollar. His words, not mine. Ugh, if you this th- is very boring. We, all, so, we did all this last time. Orderly decline of the dollar. That is one that last time we speculated that it was something different than what Glenn was claiming it was. Because he brought it up again in this video, I took the time to actually look it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I believe he's referring to is a Financial Times article from, I believe this is 2009. Let me just look. Yes, October 23rd, 2009. So about so a year So the height before. of the financial crisis. The height of the financial crisis. And let me just tell you, here's how it plays out. Uh, financial Times asks the question to George Soros, given this continued weakness in the U.S. economy, are people right to start to be concerned about the dollar? Soros's reply, quote, Well, they are, of course, and the dollar is a very weak currency except for all the others. So there is a general lack of confidence in currencies and a move away from currencies into real assets. The Chinese are continuing to run a big trade surplus, and they're still accumulating assets, and basically the renminbi is permanently undervalued because it's tied to the dollar. There's a diversification from assets that are normally held by central banks into other assets, especially in the areas of commodities. So there is a push in gold, there's a strength in oil, and that is a way, uh, in a way, a flight from currencies. Financial Times then follows up with, is there going to be a tipping point, a moment at which the dollar is fatally weakened, or does it just sort of carry on? Soros responds, quote, As long as the renminbi is tied to the dollar, I don't see how the decline in the dollar can go too far. Now, of course, to some extent, it's very helpful because with the U.S. consumers saving more and spending less, exports can be a way for the U.S. economy to be balanced. So an orderly decline of the dollar is actually desirable. This is just high-level financial shit about commodities and currencies. Yeah. Glenn is trying to turn this into, oh, he wants to destroy he wants the, the United American States economic system to collapse. By like, collapsing the dollar. And, and I will go back to what it is about at its core. We have talked about this in the past. Glenn Beck's top advertisers are gold and food buckets. Yeah, of course That's they are. It's what every right-wing radio host makes their money on. It's people they're trying to scare into thinking, your money is going to be worthless paper, so you better buy gold. And you better buy some bullshit freeze-dried food to have in your survival bunker for when the blacks come a-looking. That's what he's trying to do. It's pathetic. It's fucking pathetic. If you thought 5 or $4 a gallon gas is painful, oh, this is fun. wait until Soros devalues your dollar even more. <laughs> Forget about driving. What's the about de- What's gas now? We've told you. 
Uh, right now, I don't know where it is. What it is where you are. Uh, the other day, I walked past a gas station in St. Louis, and it was like uh, I don't know, two eighty, two ninety, or something like okay. that, somewhere around there. So, would you say that 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 George Soros has not collapsed the value of the dollar? Well, Benedict, just wait, <laughs> just you wait. I titled this in my notes, this section, "Inflation Palooza," because okay. Glenn's going to tell us some predictions about what's oh, wow. about to happen okay, to the United love this. States. Let's do this it. is great. This is fun. You um, just recently. I've told you this for what two years now that they would devalue the dollar, and he's told them that for two years to sell gold. Mm-hmm. Inflation would come. Financial Times reported it today. It's about to be added to your grocery bill, and if you're the one in the household doing the grocery shopping, you've already seen it. But oh, <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. I could not find, just for, for reference, I could not find any Financial Times article that I thought he could be referencing for this particular stupid bit he's about to do. But uh, this is fun. As they devalue our dollar in orderly decline, you'll start to see prices like one group, uh, inflation group, predicted that it will soon cost $11. $11.43 for an ear of corn. One ear. How about going to the grocery store and seeing... Benedict, you buy any corn recently? It was not $11.33, I'll tell you that much. Okay, it gets better, it gets better. A price tag on a loaf of wheat bread of $23.05. Shut the fuck up. This sugar, this size. 32- He's holding like the small, the small box, you know, the, the, the little box of sugar. Was he about to say $32 <laughs> for sugar? Two ounces of sugar. Oh, no. $62. <laughs> no, that's worse than I thought it was going to be. Um, for the milk, good old soy milk. I mean, who doesn't? Smooth and delicious. $24.31 oh, yeah. for this For all size. those soy boys for out there. For a container of this coffee. He keeps going. Folgers, 11 and a half ounces. $77.71. Where is he claiming this is for from? A, uh, container. He didn't give me any reference to check okay. up on. He just said, this comes from one institute. All right, and I tried to look up, at some point in here, he says, like, the Institute on Inflation. And I tried to look up and figure out what bullshit organization this possibly could have come from. I could find nothing. I googled the exact prices he said, and I, I turned up nothing. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I have no idea. This is just spectacular nonsense because it's 10 years in the past and this obviously never fucking happened. It's yeah. just so great. Container of orange juice, not this size, but for 64 fluid ounces. F- fluid ounces. Could he not find juice. the right size of orange juice? It will be $45.71. And one ha- thing that that would have been believe. such aggressive inflation. Okay, but that's what? all because of what Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy did. That's why the price got up there but on, what? on How, Okay, the inflation would have had to be like 600% year It would have had to be fucking Weimar Germany levels yeah. of inflation. This is... It's, it's insane. Who could watch this and take this guy seriously? Ever. Ever. And by the way, I did, we talked about on uh, one of the previous two episodes we did uh, that Glenn Beck uh, fell from grace not long after this. And I didn't know mm. what was the tipping point or not. Um, nobody really knows what the tipping point was because all that stuff behind the scenes at Fox News is pretty well hidden and nobody knows what's going on there. But he did leave Fox News like, it was like less than six months after this show aired. So that's when he finally left the network. So I, I tend to think it might be that they're like, dude, you got too crazy for us. Yeah. This was just too much. Believe, and we called the experts and asked them, okay, the, the, no, you please didn't. tell me that this, uh, this institute on inflation is nuts. They, no, they were. No, they're not, unfortunately. I couldn't Who believe Who were the experts? Can- Did they just call the institute on inflation? 
I don't know, the Von Mies Institute? They just asked, how much can we... Sc- I've been looking into the Von Mies Institute recently, too, because I mentioned that to you a while yeah, ago. Yeah, and it's we gonna do it. fucking so nuts. It's fucking nuts. Candy bar. One Hershey's milk chocolate candy bar. Mm, one chocolate. Uh, one and a half ounces. Hershey's milk chocolate. $15.50. Oh. This, Mr. Soros, is not a game. This, Mr. Soros, <laughs> at least not for did the not clubs outside of your world. I don't know anybody inside the world of George Soros. Well, you've got Timothy Geithner, you have Ben Bernanke, you have most of the politicians in Washington. We're the ones who are going to risk in this game. When he manages the decline of our dollar, him and his minions in Washington, who do you think pays the price? Will it be him? Minions sounds vaguely anti-Semitic. You see, he knows what's coming. And because of that, he can hedge. He knows exactly where to go. He knows where the exits are. And he's done it over and over again. He will gain profit and power. And you will lose both. He's playing God, which is fine by him. Because he's an atheist. Because he so loves there has okay. to be a god who's going to fill that void. So, <laughs> so that just goes back to what I've said a bunch of times of religious people just not understanding the concept of not believing in a god. Thinking that there is a void to, that needs to be filled. No, Glenn, the whole thing is there's not even a void. None of that's real. No. You just don't get it, buddy. No, no, there is a void and we embrace it, as you know. Sure, yeah. <laughs> we need to get Aaron on. Hasn't been on in a yeah. while. Well, he's smart enough to do it. In one transcript, he said that he was benevolent just like God. He sees the future just like God. So what does God's Bible preach? Globalization. Open society is a desirable form of social organization, both as a means to an end and as an end in itself. Okay. That's, by the way, the replacement of the Republic. And we talked about this okay. last time. George Soros has said he has no interest in getting rid of countries or states or individual nations. Nothing like that. And Glenn just glosses over that because it doesn't help his argument. So, An open society. This is not a leap of faith. I'm stating this as fact. And as I told God, you last night at Glenn.com so and on TheBlaze.com, you will find all of these facts, all of the research. No. Do not take my word for it. Not His list of resources is so bad. On this show. It's so Do bad. Do not take my word for it. Read about it yourself. Most of it comes in the form of his own words. Come on over here for a second. These are uh, <laughs> many of these. I'm just imagining him walking around yeah, the stage. He did. He did. Uh, he did, did, he do a, did he do a, come on over here. The listeners, yeah, I'm doing no, a back No, he did. He like motioned to the cameraman. Like, come on over here with me, buddy. Like, it's Mr. Rogers. Well, uh, welcome to my home, right? Let me take my shoes off and get into the kiddie pool or yeah. whatever. Like. Was Mr. Rogers in a kiddie pool? I do not remember I, that part I've of the I've never program. seen Mr. Rogers. That was on the <laughs> Mr. Rogers Wet and Wild special. And, um... Many of these books are written by him. This one, this one, this one. You can read about it. He's not shy about telling you. I mean, God wrote a book, too. He wrote oh, three. my God. Oh, you missed I, it. You talked over I it. No, he said it. he wrote three. Yes. I heard it. It's just, I, I stand by my, oh, my God. Which, hold on. Okay, first okay. of all, which, which three? What's That's the what three? There's okay. the Old Testament, the New... Was he a Mormon? He's a Mormon, Yes, right? he's a Mormon. Oh, yeah, okay. And here, well, that's why... This yeah. is where, like, okay, uh, Glenn Beck knows that the majority of his viewers 
don't even believe Mormons are Christians. They, they think, like, I have, I've, have a crazy evangelical aunt who I used to get into arguments with when I was a child because my mom had her watch us, even though she was the worst. And, uh, like, I would argue with her all the time about religious shit because I guess I was an atheist before I even knew I was because I was just questioning yeah. things. And, like, my, she's a young Earth creationist. She doesn't believe evolution is real, so she doesn't believe that dinosaurs was real. One time, she, I think I remember her saying to me as we were just driving somewhere, like, well, the real question is why would the devil hide all those bones there for people to find and try and trick them? Like, shit mm. like that. But, like, that aunt, that very same aunt... One time we were in an argument about something, and her response to something I said was something like, well, what about the Scientologists and the Mormons? As her examples of things that were obviously, you know, not Christian. Oh, <laughs> so okay. I, I, I'm saying that I just mean, to say that, you know, there's a, a very large proportion of Glenn Beck's audience being, you know, majority evangelical Christians who do not believe the Mormons are christians at all well i mean people believe that about catholics too like, sure i grew up catholic lot, yeah yeah I know. but this, so he said three books and so i had i assumed he was saying old testament right or jewish bible and then the torah the bible and the quran obviously. <laughs> i would love it if that was the three that he meant <laughs> can you imagine he's like alhamdulillah <laughs> he has to mean old testament new testament book of mormon but then, yeah, he does. Uh, what but I know from my, my head Lord, friend, the there, there are other books involved with the Mormon church, right? There's uh, the Pearl of Great Price, and there's the Doctrines and Covenants. There are other books of Mormonism. So, like, he, I don't, I don't know. But are they, were they written by God? Or I, don't, they by, I don't know that much about their history. I think the Pearl of Great Price goes back to Joseph Smith, but I could be entirely wrong on that. I don't know a ton about Mormonism, so it's possible. Anyway, I just thought that was funny because you know that his listeners or his, I keep saying listeners because we're a podcast, but his viewers did the same thing that I did. And they went, wait, what three, what three? Cause none of them, you know, the majority of them don't believe no, in the book I of mean, Mormon. He said, he, he said, it was a throwaway line, which to me is like, what, but you know, but then, I just, yeah. I, I had this great image in my head of one of his viewers becoming just so insanely mad and rushing over to the Google machine and try and figure out what that third book was. They're like, there yeah. was another one. There was a, a sequel and I didn't even know about it. Like that's, <laughs> that's the image I had in my mind. That was so much fun. Because of his own words, we know what to look for. We know the signs. We know what he's done in the past to bring down regimes. He's left a, a blueprint, a pattern. Hold on, is this God or George Soros? I'm confused. <laughs> Could apply to either, to be fair. I mean, even in those three books that Glenn Beck is talking about, yeah. It's a lot of war. Bringing down regimes. Yep. That Soros is saying that he has turned his focus and set his sights on America. Don't you think we should look at his past and see how he's done it before? What are the footprints? <laughs> Where is he leaving fingerprints? How did he do it? Four or five times before. Well, we also should look at what has he accomplished so far? How far down that line is he? Tonight, we look at the puppet master's latest work of art, America <laughs> Under Siege. So, oh, wow. That, that's a great, go that's a great lead out to commercial that uh yep. tonight we look at the buster America, uh, the, America. yeah his new project that's you got to give him credit for style if sure. nothing else and yeah i don't give him any points, points for anything else so Benedict, no never 
we go on to the next video and this one this is where it really gets fun because you know that first video that's the opening of the show for the night he's setting everything up he doesn't get into a whole lot of detail besides hiding the fact that he gets his quotes from terrible anti-semites and stuff like that you know all that sort of fun stuff but this is where it starts to get fun so let's start up video two of puppet master night two all right george soros has his sights on america so how does he view us well it's easy he views us like this. America is the main obstacle to a stable and just world we order. talked about that before, obviously. The United States. Mm -hmm. His words, not mine. So not only does he want Stop to bring America that. to her knees financially. He, he is very repetitive in a lot of these things. So repetitive. And I don't know if it's like you said, it's because he knows his audience and knows their attention span and that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's getting, it's getting very repetitive. I'm wondering how much more repetitive it's going to be as we go. He wants to reap obscene profits off us as well. Like when he made $1 billion off the collapse of the British sterling. His claim, not mine. The money that I made on this particular transaction. What an old video. The estimate is mm -hmm. about a billion dollars. You are the guy they said. And then it cuts to a different video, obviously. And this is an interview with Charlie Rose that he did uh, in 2001, I believe. Who broke the Bank of England. Right, and, and, uh, well. And did. Uh, well, that's true. Uh... <laughs> oh, doesn't that seem like a strange place to cut, Benedict? Could it be because it was a strange place to cut? Because yeah, again, also, always a laugh line. Obvious laugh line. Uh, I did this time. It took me a while to figure out where that exact video was. I went and found the entire hour-long interview, Charlie Rose and George Soros, that he did in 2001 before a live audience. I watched... The majority of it, I watched about half an hour of it. It was actually very interesting at a number of points. I, I thought it was um, pretty, you know, I actually enjoyed watching it. Uh, I was glad that Glenn sent me down this road. But obviously, right after he says yes, he says no, but no, not really. And then, you know, gives a broader explanation of what really happened. And I gotta say, I was a little bit uh, underwhelmed by his explanation because he sort of says, like... Well, you know, I wasn't leading the market. People see me as the market face because I'm so well known, but really, like, there's nothing I can do if the currency market is going one way I have to follow or otherwise I'm going to lose money, and that's what ended up happening here. So like, I'm a little underwhelmed by that response, but, you know, Glenn is trying to turn that into he tanked the uh, Bank of England on purpose and he admitted it on stage. That's what he's trying to do, and it's, yep. it's just gross. Of course he is. Why wouldn't he be? Yeah. He's just a lovable, old, spooky dude. By the way, um, his people, when they <laughs> met with uh, my number oh, two... Oh, man, I forgot about his people meeting them. Uh, yeah. Remember, left us this threat. I, I mean, this gift. He does that <laughs> several times, in, in, in pretending to say threat. Oh, oh I mean gift. Oh, oh yeah, gift. He, oh, oh, oh. He does that multiple times. The mask slipped. Yeah, yeah. Um, he says they didn't really make that much off it. So is he lying then or is he lying now? Which is it? This man causes misery yeah. in his wake. People's lives were ruined. Retirement accounts, savings, jobs, all gone. Grandma and grandpa saved their whole life. Gone. And he just walks away. You've saved your whole life if you've put all your money away for retirement. It's now worth 30% less in the last 10 years. And it's about to be worth a lot less. What are you going to do? You're going to go back and get another job? See, he doesn't think about that stuff. Because your life is a game to this man. And again, listen to George Soros in his own words. We will. Okay. When you uh, try to, let's see, 
improve society. You affect different people and uh, different interests differently, and they, they are not actually commensurate. So you, you very often have all kinds of unintended uh, adverse consequences. So. I had to so the video he's using this from is one that appears to be based on the logo that's on the screen he's showing on theblaze.com. Uh, and I, so I didn't bother to go look it up, but that did appear to be a hard cut there. Uh, you, Benedict, yeah. you know almost nothing about audio editing. I spend a significant portion of my life doing audio editing. Um, and I, so I pick up on little things like very poorly done cuts, which is what that yep. sounded like to me. It uh, did. Yeah. Okay. The experiment, and it was it was a learning process. The first part was this uh, subversive activity, disrupting a repre repressive regimes. Uh, that was a lot of fun, and that's actually mm. what got me hooked on this whole uh, enterprise. Mm. You know what? Disrupting oppressive regimes does sound like it'd be fun. It does honestly sound like it'd be fun. <laughs> I don't know about you, but this sounds like a fun does, thing to Yeah, me. I would yeah. love to do that. It was a lot of fun experimenting with people's lives. This is what happens when people put themselves in an elite category or appoint themselves rulers, or in his case, see themselves as some sort of a god. You. By the way, I would argue that is exactly how Glenn Beck sees himself. Oh, yeah. He's, an, oh, he's yeah. definitely a media elite. Isn't yeah. He's... Yeah. His 912 project, himself appearing on stage like some sort of fucking uh, heroic triumphant leader yeah that's all that's what glenn beck's all about you become a plaything and he is the all-knowing all-seeing creator he has been playing this game for a very long time but before i show you how he's playing it now and what is coming i want to start in czechoslovakia half a century ago in czechoslovakia it okay by the way um so his math is off on this. I just will point that out at the beginning for anyone Half who gets confused. Half a century ago, uh, yeah. Because what he's going to reference is the end of the Prague Spring, which was not half a century ago because this was recorded in 20, 2010? 20, yeah, 2010. Uh, yeah, was... And so 50 years back from that would be Benedict. 1960. 1960 the end of the Prague spring was at the end of the 1960s so you know yeah. he's just a little bit off i just did want to point it out because it did complicate uh, i'll give him that half a century uh, it annoyed the hell out of me when i was trying to figure out what he's talking about but he knows nothing about czechoslovakia is what he's going to prove to sure. us it was a scary scary time to live in this part of the world the world was changing europe was on fire joblessness joblessness hunger uh, hunger was on the rise. People didn't know what to do. Protesters started rioting in the streets. The average person was frightened out of their mind. And so what did they do? They begged the government, please bring order. Stop the people rioting in the streets. Okay. If I were to stop right there, you'd be like, what the fuck is he talking yeah. about? That's not you would. what anyone thinks about the Prague Spring. That's not at all. But... That's, uh, of course, Glenn can't argue against reality, so that he's, he's setting up a straw man of what supposedly is taught about what happened in Czechoslovakia. Well, they did. And the next thing the average person knew, they were a communist country. They were already a communist country before the Prague Spring. A, a long time. <laughs> well, I guess that you can quibble over the word country. Yeah, yeah, um, the two republics. And like whether they yeah. were part, yeah. There's, there's, there's quibbling, but that's, again, I'm giving Glenn too much credit, <laughs> as always, of like, oh, well, there's an academic argument to be made here. By the way, um, I, this is, I, I should say, this is my assumption of what he's talking about, because he's so vague, uh, it's hard to tell, but this, 
I mean, it seems to be what he's talking about, I guess. So it's what I assumed when I was doing my, my research on this. It is important to remember this story because that's what history books would tell you. But there's so like I said, he set up the straw man. He's claiming that, oh, all the history books and, you know, for him, it's the, the liberal history books. They teach that they wanted the communists to come in and take over. That's absolutely not at all what's taught about the Prague Spring anywhere. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, new documents out that were never supposed to be released. And it plays directly into today and what's happening in America. And we'll get to that by the bottom of the hour. But right now, I want to show so you the signs. so pissed he didn't signs. go right into it. What is George Soros <laughs> trying to do? What is it? How does he do it? After country, after country, after country, we found that there are five steps to him gaining control. He does it over and over and over again. So let's see what the steps the are. Five, you'll never believe these five steps that give you control of a country. The five steps that they don't they want don't you want to want know you about. To <laughs> the five steps that insiders. Doing, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it so wonderful? I can't, oh. Kevin. Sorry, and let's see if he's done any of them here. The first one is form a shadow government using a humanitarian aid as cover. This is what he just said. It's kind of funny. It's kind of fun. The first step, he said, is subversive activities. Okay? Step two, control the airwaves. Fund existing radio and TV outlets and take control over them or start your own outlets. Remember, take control of existing or start your own. Step three, destabilize the state. Weaken the so. government and build an anti-government kind of uh, feeling in the country. Okay. Okay. Not that for nothing. This is more than five steps. You can't just group things <laughs> under. You can't keep under, saying and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't put a subhead uh, and then be like write a whole paragraph of five other steps Glenn underneath. Didn't have enough chalkboards to do more than five steps. But like, okay, he just said that part of that is building anti-government sentiment. Then Glenn. You're on step three, buddy. Like, that's yeah. straight up you. Like, yeah, that's yeah. true. You're not wrong. You exploit an economic crisis or take advantage of an existing crisis. Pressure from the top and the bottom. This will allow you to weaken the government and build anti-government public sentiment. Step four. You provoke an election crisis. You wait for an election. And during the election, you cry voter fraud. Step five. Oh. Oh, power. interesting. Yeah, yeah, we missed that when we went over it. Because he did these five steps before, right? Yeah, he did. I think we commented on it. But yeah, like, eh, somehow, like, that's become so normal to us. Like, oh, yeah, but, you know, that is you guys, so whatever. You stage massive demonstrations, civil disobedience, sit-ins, general strikes. You encourage activism. You promote voter fraud. Tell followers what to do through your radio and television stations. Again, that's you guys. Yep. Well, let's start at the beginning, shall we? Do any of those sound familiar? This is the way George Soros takes country down every time. Every time. Again, he's done it. How many times, Joe? Four or five? Four times. Why would Joe know? <laughs> he had to it ask was five, Joe. It was five a minute ago also. <laughs> well, he, he, he asked four or five before he went to the commercial break. And then he came back. And I, I was wondering, okay, is that set up? Is that something they planned ahead to seem more... Folksy? That, or, I think it or, is. Was I that legitimately him forgetting? I don't know. It, it, he has that. He goes for that folksy charm. It's possible, but like, is that folksy or is that just Glenn? You should have 
notes or something. I don't know what that is, but he did it. It was weird. Four times before. We'll be number five. So let's go back here. The five steps to control. The first one is form a shadow government using humanitarian aid as a cover. Hmm. Now, is he doing this? Well, let me start with the central George Soros operation, which is OSI. This is his, his main group. OSI. It is the uh, Open Society Institute. It sounds warm and fuzzy. <laughs> and to hear the way they tell it, it is warm and fuzzy. Oddly <laughs> enough, yesterday, in a sign of, I think, total panic and collapse, OSI released a video talking all about all the wonderful things that George Soros does. It's fantastic. Must have cost them a fortune to put this up. Coincidentally, it, it's released the day that we do our special to show you that he's just a lovable old philanthropist. Okay, so this, this is weird, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not weird that OSI would release a video on the day that one of the biggest stars of the right-wing propaganda machine attacks him. That's not weird. But Glenn trying to portray what I have to say I found on their YouTube page and is, in fact, a very cheap-looking produced video that's only a minute and 35 seconds long. Um, I have to think that uh, calling that a slick production that's a sign of collapse and panic or whatever he said, that's... That's desperate. That's really desperate and strange. And by the way, OSI has a YouTube channel. As I mentioned, they have tons of videos. Tons of videos that came out before that one. Tons that came out after it. They release, I don't know, I'd say probably close to 100-ish videos a year, maybe more. Just based on my scrolling through, like the video that came out immediately before uh, that video he's referencing was called The Trust Deficit. The Impact of Perceptions on Policy in Afghanistan. How terrible. Uh, yeah. The one that came out after that video is called Human Rights and the Elections in Uganda. So Awful. Truly awful. It's just an attempt to turn... I mean, I'm not surprised at all if they put out a video, right, like I said, because Glenn Beck is a huge douchebag throwing around this archaic anti-Semitism. Uh, I'm not surprised that they would do that at all, but him trying to turn that into a win is weird to me. Bizarre, yeah. That's all he does. He cares about people. Well, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. Because he's a humanitarian. He's a philanthropist, you know. He yes. gives tons of money. Every time I'll he says philanthropist, I think he's going to say philanthropist. Through the open society. Like every single time. Yep, yep. He donates almost half a billion dollars annually to charity causes all around the globe. Well, that's fantastic. Sarcasm that's fantastic. is dripping. I love people who give a lot of Absolutely. money to charity. I think that's fantastic. I do. Now, when you look at a charity, this is what I learned when I started to try to be responsible with my money. You look at people as an investment. Who's the, what's the best way to invest in people? But you need, if you're going to give away half a billion dollars every single year, you better have somebody who really knows how to manage it. And you better have somebody who has a big, big heart. Who is the person to head up your charitable arm, Mr. Soros? Well, he found, um, he just found the, the I mean, he's just just the founder of SDS, the radical student group from the 1960s. Stop You're saying that. So, Benedict, we get to a point that I love. I am, I, <sighs> so yesterday, or not yesterday, a couple days ago, last episode when we talked about this, he brought up this guy, the yeah, founder yeah. of SDS, and I was angry that he never said the guy's name. Today, 
he still doesn't say the guy's mm. fucking name. And at no point throughout the three-day fucking bullshit fest that this is, does he say this guy's name. And of course, that's probably on purpose. Because oh, yeah. if you were to know who he's talking about, you would then be able to very easily find out he is not at all who Glenn is saying he is. I will play a few cool. more seconds, and then we will talk about this guy. You remember? You remember the, the days of rage, riots? Yeah. No, nobody does. Yeah, and oh, and <laughs> and the um, and the spinoff group, the Weather Underground. Yeah, just the guy who started this stuff. That's who heads the charitable arm. It's almost like subversive activities are kind of fun to Mr. So, Benedict. Subversive activities are kind of fun, to be honest. They are. They really are. So, Benedict, the days of rage. Do you remember the days of rage? No. And I'm not talking about 1999 when Rage put out. Did they put it out in 1999? They probably did. That's like core that's Rage years, right? Yeah. It sounds like sounds like about the right time. Uh, but no, yeah. I'm talking about the days of Rage, the riots in 1969 in Chicago, which were three days where the weatherman faction of the SDS uh, held organizations that got violent in Chicago. Um, we talked before a little bit, I think, that the Weatherman was a faction of the SDS, and you mm -hmm. know they had a close relationship. And this is one of the events that that caused the SDS to distance themselves even further from the Weather Underground, and led to the Weather Underground, you know, really going a lot more underground uh, <laughs> after this. Um, yep. Because this is after like the uh, the trial of the Chicago Seven and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all this sort of stuff going on. But anyways. Uh, the guy who he's talking about, who he never names, but which, thankfully, a writer at the New Yorker took the fine to figure out who the fuck he's talking about. So thank you, Hendrik Hertzberg of the New Yorker, uh, for mm. actually taking the time to figure out who he's talking about. Um, this is a guy named Arya Nair. Now, Benedict, when I think of founders of the SDS, I think of Tom Hayden or Alan Haber, yep. Al Abby Hoffman, for fuck's sake, Paul mm -hmm. Booth, any number of people who were actually involved with the SDS. Arya Nair is not one of those people. Arya Nair took a job in 1958 with the League for Industrial Democracy, which is an organization that traces its line uh, back to uh, an earlier organization that was founded by Upton Sinclair, Walter Lippmann, Clarence Darrow, mm -hmm. and Jack London. That was called the okay. Intercollegiate Socialist Society. They then later became this organization that Nair took a job at uh, called the League for Industrial Democracy. It wasn't very active at the time. It was involved with the union movement, um, and a lot of the money that they got came directly from like the United Auto Workers and stuff like that. And he, you know, being this... Young guy right out of college, 22 years old, trying to do some good work, decided, eh, let's get some more people interested. And he changed the name of the League for Industrial Democracy's Youth Wing to Student League for Indust from Student League for Industrial Democracy to Students for a Democratic Society, because he thought it sounded better. Now I'll read to you from Mr. Nair's own autobiography, where he said, quote, I hired two student organizers. One was a University of Michigan friend of Al Haber, Tom Hayden, who was already active in SDS. Soon after hiring Hayden, however, it became clear that he and I had fundamental differences, and I fired him. It was too late. He had established his leadership of SDS and took it in a direction I did not endorse. I left my post as director of LID in 1960 and became an editor of a shortly-lived monthly public affairs journal that deserved its early demise. At the same time, I continued as a member of LID's board and, along with Michael Herring, 
Harrington, who became the organization's chairman, opposed the ways its student affiliate SDS was developing. I was unenthusiastic about the 1962 Port Huron Statement drafted by Hayden. It was anti-Soviet and anti-communist. I or sorry, I was anti-Soviet and anti-communist, and was appalled by arguments that Soviet repression and the invasion of Hungary were defensive actions in response to Cold War aggression, for which the United States bore prime responsibility. That's a really, this, that's a really famous uh, split in the left, actually. The Port Huron statement. Yes, the Port Huron statement is kind of what the SDS is known for, thanks yeah. to Big Lebowski. Yeah. So, like, okay, this is a guy who basically his involvement with SDS was coming up with the name. That's his involvement with SDS. Founder. But, but he's yeah, a founder. founder. Founder of SDS. You but then Glenn Beck works. plays footage of riots on screen. God damn it, he's so full of shit. It's such an incredible level of bullshitting to claim this guy as the founder of SDS. He went on to become a, a lawyer with the ACLU. Uh, and became the executive director of the ACLU in 1970. Oh, wow. He was one of the guys involved with the decision to have the ACLU support the Skokie Nazis and take their case to the Supreme Court. He was one of those guys. Like, th this is ridiculous. And there is, I believe, a very clear reason why Glenn Beck, I think, made a decision to never say his name. Because it would yeah. be way too easy for anyone to look this guy up and find out how full of shit Glenn Beck is. It's astonishing to me. And I don't know how my opinion of Glenn Beck could get any lower, but it continually does. <laughs> I love this so much. I love when he does these things. <laughs> anyway, we can, uh, also, I will mention, he's about to talk a bunch of shit about um, the, the charitable stuff that uh, the, the Open Society Institute does. Um, what Glenn Beck has done throughout a lot of this program, what he will continue to do is only point out uh, organizations that have a relation to politics or political activity. Uh, the Open Society Institute, I pulled up their Form 990 from 2010. That's the filing that charitable organizations make, and it lists uh -huh. every single donation that they make. It lists you know, every grant that they've given. And for them, most of them are in the range of $150,000 here, $200,000 there, maybe a million to one organization. Um, there are thousands of different organizations that the Open Society Institute gave money to, from everywhere from the New York Lawyers for the Public Interest to Yeshiva University to just everything. The New York Lesbian and Gay Experimental Film Festival got 25 grand. Like, money was money goes all over the place. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's charity, man. You're just going to pretend that it's all political. That's what he's doing. Mr. Soros, in the, under the cover of humanitarian aid, so OSI spreads the money all over the country. But I'm sure, I'm sure the head of OSI, he's probably changed. One of the things that OSI funded was the shadow conventions uh, in 2000. It funded, up funneled uh, one-third of the shadow convention. Who was hosted here? I mean, unless you were an avid you know, C-SPAN watcher, you probably don't remember. He also, he's out of breath at this point, which yeah, I find so funny. Really because uh, I think we saw before, he goes to video packages a lot, and at this point, mm -hmm. we're uh, eight minutes into this 12-minute segment. He has not gotten a break once. He's had a okay. couple of video clips, but he's just talking. He's seriously out of breath here. It's, it's funny to me. Remember them. But it was an attempt to, as they put it, focus on the issues that the parties just won't touch. Issues like campaign finance reform. Wait a minute. 
last night campaign <sighs> finance reform. A lot oh, of people are into campaign finance thing, reform, Glenn. Seriously, that's going to feed Today, a lot of popular topic. Campaign finance reform. Remember, we said that he spent over a million, over a hundred million dollars to get campaign finance reform. And uh, what happened? Oh yeah, I remember. It led to the boom in 501c3s. Who cares? So Literally, who cares? I tried, because he brought it up again, I tried again to find any evidence that there was a boom in 501c3s. I could not find anyone who said that there was a boom in 501c3s. I found one article from Stanford that talked about how in the early 2000s, a lot of charities got a lot larger than they were before, and there was the rise of you know very large charitable organizations like the Susan G. Komen Foundation. Uh, but if there's any truth to this, I have to imagine it's because of the fucking internet, Glenn. The fucking yep. internet, which gave people the ability to fundraise and find out how to start a 501c3 and all that sort of stuff. Like moveon.org or Media Matters <laughs> or any of the other things that he seems to fund. They can take in as much money as they want. And now all of those, all of those political organizations are controlled by George Soros. But remember, it's humanitarian. One of the organizers... So, uh, for one thing, just to note, uh, charitable does not mean humanitarian. They are not synonyms. Uh, the IRS code has a number of definitions for what a charity is, mm. and it does not necessarily just humanitarian. And I should mention, like I said, I looked at what they give money to. There's a shitload of humanitarian work in there that they give money to. So, fuck off. Yep. ...of the Shadow Convention was Ariana Huffington, which is now getting the Huffington Post money from George Soros to be able to hire Reporters, isn't that great? Oh no! She was yes. uh, introducing here uh, in 2000 at the Shadow Convention. She was introducing somebody else, uh, another guest speaker, another co-organizer of the event. Watch. And also, I have a theory that Republicans, because I heard a lot of Ariana Huffington back in the day when I was a conservative. I think they like to play her voice mm -hmm. because they think she sounds dumb. Because anyone with an accent sounds dumb to them. We're now moving to the second issue of, this, of the Shadow Convention, the persistence of poverty in the middle of our prosperity. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome one of our conveners, the Reverend Jim Wallace, the head of the Carter Renewal, a new coalition of churches to fight poverty, and the editor of Sojourners magazine. Oh. He's also been a mentor and an inspiration to me. So get ready to be inspired, Jim Wallace. Praise Jesus, Jim Wallace. So generous. I don't know if I had ever Faith. heard her speak. Really? Yeah. They used to make fun of her on like Saturday Night Live too. That was a thing I, back in the day. I used to live in the UK. Well, that's so. also true. <laughs> She's uh, for for the record, like Ariana Huffington, like the Huffington Post. I mean, it was like the first big like thing to come out of the internet era of journalism right and like she did an amazing yeah. job with that i think she's very intelligent she has some stuff i disagree with and i think uh the huffington post blog site was a very bad idea which they got rid of because it was a very bad idea but you know uh she seems to be a very intelligent lady uh i don't know uh, they just hate her because she's on the yep. left yep faith politics culture that's right sojourners didn't he get a bunch of money recently to help boycott me that's right. I remember him now. By the way, so Does looking. It, oh, come on. So looking into this. Faux folksy bullshit. Sojourners, which is a magazine that this guy, Jim Wallace, who's a uh, uh, American theologian, uh, and he founded a church in D.C. Um, so presumably a pastor, I guess. 
um, he uh, has a magazine called Sojourners, which, yes, did get money from George Soros in 2010. There was a little bit of controversy because he denied getting money from George Soros and then later had to admit it. Uh, but I can't find anyone besides right-wing conspiracy theorists claiming, and Glenn claiming that the money was given so that Wallace would protest Glenn Beck. That, I just don't find that anywhere. Like in 2009, he criticized Sarah Palin, and he's talked about a lot of uh, right-wing political figures he disagrees with. So I don't, I don't know where that comes from. And Sojourners, another group funded by OSI. George Soros, an atheist, <sighs> dumping a whole bunch of money into a Christian organization. Well, that almost doesn't make sense. Oh, but it's humanitarian. <laughs> kind of makes you question the motives, what? though, doesn't it? Uh, why? I w no. Why is it humanitarian, or why doesn't it make sense? Why doesn't it make sense? Well, I mean, I wouldn't give money to a religious organization. I wouldn't no, do that, but, like, but I why, do know... Why is this a huge conspiracy? It doesn't make any sense. I Look, it, because he's grasping at straws. Because he has to have something, and this is the best he can come up with, and that's really pathetic. It's what he's got. Yep. Of course, it doesn't take long to see that his attraction to Jim Wallace is because he's a big government progressive. The solution is not with the people and the churches. It is get everybody into the government. He's infiltrating the churches. You see how this works? I know, I know. No. He's infiltrating the churches. I Love just that. like that line. I really like that line. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Soros. It's just humanitarian aid. Step number two is to control the airwaves. Has George Soros done this at all? Well, open society, I mean, it's, I mean, it's very innocent here. Um, and, and as pure as the driven snow, recently donated um, $1.8 million so that NPR could uh, hire new journalists. Do we have the NPR thing? Uh, yeah, how evil is that? Giving yeah, $1.8 million dollars to NPR. By the way, I finally looked up what this was because we... Did we talk about this last time? I think we probably did. Um, probably. He gave $1.8 million to an NPR initiative to hire state government reporters. So uh -huh. and that's great. Full-time state, state government, government reporters, reporters who would report on what's going on in the state capital. That's what it was. Very important. The, the right, of course, had a fit about that, but uh, nobody else seems to care. Um, yeah, they just $1.8 million so they could hire 100 journalists. And then Soros wrote 100... Oh, Glenn doesn't have an NPR sign to stick on his chalkboard. That's what he asked, do we have the NPR thing for? <laughs> $100 million check to Media Matters to go along with... and I'm sorry, $1 million to go along oh, with NPR. Oh, that's a bit uh, different. <laughs> By the way, Media Matters is not a news organization, except in the sense no. that they cover the right-wing media. But they're not producing, like... In the way that NPR does, they're not producing news like that. So this yeah. is a, a little bit shallow if you're trying to claim that they're controlling the airwaves. Which was great. Their stated goal, by the way, what got him to write that was uh, they were going to get me off the air and then destroy Fox. So, uh, no, that's, of course, not true. Um, he, also, it didn't work very well, so he, money poorly spent. Yeah, he made the donation to Media Matters on October 22nd, 2010, so that could have been in the run-up to Glenn Beck announcing this show that he was going to do. It may, it may very well be true that Soros is like, oh, fuck you, I'll just give money to these people who do a very good job of keeping watch mm -hmm. on you and the bullshit that you say. It's possible. Uh, but also, I will point out that in 2010, according to their 990 that they filed with the IRS, uh, Media Matters had a total revenue of $13 million. So, you know, $1 million out of 13 is nothing to laugh at, but claiming again that he controls Media Matters controlled less than a tenth then if he gave a million dollars which it's again a, a stupid argument to make isn't that great 
By the way, um, he gave that million dollars and all that money after we uh, we were threatened. I mean, we were given a gift. See, he did it again. I told you he'd do it again. And uh, they realized yeah. that I wouldn't shut up. I wouldn't stop. Oh, but you should. And so then he decided, well, I guess I'm going to have to destroy him another way. By tricking him into doing is a show that's so anti-Semitic. This is a website that it gets him kicked off of Fox News, probably. Probably, probably was part yeah, of the maybe. reason at the very least. Yeah. Site that they developed with the NAACP's media staff is supposed to expose the intolerant element of the Tea Party. Then the NAACP takes its content and collaborates with Think Progress, another Soros-funded group. So what he brought up there first was a uh, TeaPartyTracker.org website, uh -huh. which he said was run by the NAACP. Um, that was true. Um, it appeared to have stopped operating very shortly after it was started. Um, I looked up their Twitter, and they stopped tweeting in like 2010, 2011. So sure. they didn't do very much. Again, that's that not a news outlet. So if you're saying they're controlling the airwaves, you're still ringing pretty hollow. But then at the end, he finally brings up the only actual news website uh, other than NPR that he has in his holster, which is Think Progress, which, by the way, went mm -hmm. out of business in 2019, two years ago, uh, and actually did some really good journalism. They had some really good yeah. work at Think Progress, so... Uh, but uh, again, it's just conspiracy bullshit. Group, along with Media Matters, and there you go. And the there next you go. three steps. Next. And that's right. how he goes out to break. He's he's tired of his own shit. He's just like yeah, it's a, it's a lot. Next, Twelve minutes is a lot. The next three ones, the next. We'll just we'll fucking. Well, you and I, we do hours at a time. Twelve minutes. That's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah, that's true. I am against doing hours at a time, though, <laughs> as you know. And once again, here we are, an hour and 20 Benedict, in, when I was promised. We are 10 minutes. I was promised. We are 10 minutes shorter than the last episode we did. So that I doesn't, kept that, my I, promise. I'm sorry. That is not what the promise was. <laughs> I said, let's keep it snappy. And you said, no. It all depends on what your definition of snappy is. Not uh, that whatever <laughs> this was, this was not snappy. <laughs> well, Benedict, today... Again, I would say we've learned nothing. Um, yep. He's started to get into some of these points. I, I, I got so excited when he brought up Czechoslovakia and then said, we'll deal with that before the end of the show. It's like, oh, <laughs> you made me get the bottle of lube out for nothing. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of repetition. It, yeah, it is. Really and it's going back over this the bullshit five steps again he's really again not giving us anything there we've seen how that's all a chunk of bullshit we talked about the obvious deceptions he's engaged in so we have to hope that the next episode we do we're gonna get some real stuff hopefully or is he just gonna do the three and then be done with it again i don't know we'll see how it goes but benedict i'm sorry i didn't mean to do Bye. this i didn't mean to do yeah. this to you i no, i really you thought sound like glenn i really thought you said you sound like Glenn. I was, I, th these are people's lives that we're playing with. It's the with. quick turn. My life, it's, it's, in fact. Here's, here's a little tip for all you would-be actors out there. The quick turn from really energetic to soft and slow and meaningful. That's the trick that Glenn again. does. That's the trick in Glenn's pocket that he pulls out. It's just, but then it, you you get you know you're earnest and then but then you get so angry about mm -hmm. something that you can't help but raise your voice. It's very. It's like if you've ever taken a speech class, which I had to do yeah. in undergrad. What they tell you a lot is change your emotional. Vary your tone. Yes, vary, vary your tone. Vary, vary your, your speech. Pacing, vary your vary volume, your... because that brings out different emotions, and you should do that repeatedly throughout the speech, no matter how short or long the speech is. Yeah. Anyways, Benedict, I am sorry.
that I've done this to you again. But to okay. all the listeners, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $2 an episode, and we only charge you for every other episode. For patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, C. David, Megan, and I should mention, this is not an extra special shout-out, because you got your extra special shout-out last time, so this is just a regular shout-out. Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taru Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Andrew Jenko. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time. I hate you, Glenn. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Spider-Man says that. podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.